Now, you know we have the congregational meeting right after worship, um, and uh, then we'll have food. So we should have food. Oh, we have cinnamon rolls before the meeting. So my wife wanted to make sure that you weren't starving and getting cranky during the meeting. So, <clears throat> that is all the announcements. We have the call to worship. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. It's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 406, 406. through six. Jesus with thy church Let us pray. 
indeed beseech you through the blood of Christ Jesus, our God above, for your grace and continued mercies upon us, as you promised in your word. And on this, your Lord's day, we ask, God, that we would especially be blessed. For we desire, Lord, to be close to you, not just in our emotions, but in our understanding, God, and our will to do the right thing. Help us to that end, we pray, Lord, as we learn and continue to learn to live the life of the Lord's Prayer. Let us say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be. You may be seated. We have the reading of Psalm 32, which is inside the bulletin, a separate sheet. Psalm 32 insert. It is a call and response. I'll read the bold face. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And you can see again why we go to the Psalms, why we can read the Psalms, for the psalmist like us has sins, and the psalmist like us can have deliverance and forgiveness of those sins if we come but to our Lord and Savior through the blood of Christ Jesus. Let us go before him with prayer and supplication. We bow our hearts, Lord. As we bow our heads before you in honor and acknowledgement of your great and might and majesty as we will hear this afternoon. So to that end, God, may we continue to be humble. May we continue, Lord, to acknowledge our place in life before you and not reach above our grasp of who and where we are and what you've given us, Lord. In particular, God, as we struggle with our sins, if perhaps 
being indifferent to the church of God, or perhaps, Lord, and being angry with one another, or forgetting the means of grace, Lord, throughout the week of reading your word and prayer, or whatever the case may be, God, we have various and sundry sins we struggle with. We bring them before you, God, asking for mercy and forgiveness as we read here, that our iniquities would be forgiven as only they can by you. We praise you, God, for being our Savior, not just a Savior in the abstract, but a Savior in the concrete, saving of our soul, but also giving us, Lord, means of encouragement and strength for our weak faith. As you have blessed us, Lord, with the gospel, and you've blessed us with the church that was created by the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, the means of grace you've given us, Lord, the baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and the preaching of the word. Throughout the week, God, and even on the Lord's Day, we can pray ourselves, read your word, and be blessed therein, and seek out fellowship with the saints, God. We thank you for these things, for these are blessings from your hand, blessings for our weak faith to strengthen us, to draw us nigh unto you and to one another. And we praise you to that end, God, for you are indeed a loving God, even though at times we don't feel it, even though at times, God, we have sinned and had iniquities, as David acknowledged here in the psalm. And yet, God, we cannot ever leave the faith. We do not want to give up on you. Help us, we pray to that end, to continue on in our sanctification, to praise you throughout the week, to list our praises before you, God, and to one another, to lift up our voices, God, not just on the Lord's day, but throughout the week as we are able. We pray in particular, God, for your church, the church you have blessed us with, not just Providence, God, but the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and not just us, Lord, as though we're the only church on earth, but all the churches that name the name of Christ Jesus. We pray for her, we pray for her growth, we pray for her maturation, we pray for her holiness, that you would continue to purify her, particularly, Lord, here in America, uh, that you would purge out from her the false teachings and the false practices, God, and that you would strengthen the church, protect the sheep, we pray, raise up pastors to stand firm and to warn the sheep and to guide and comfort the sheep as needed, and that the wolves would flee in fear, and that you would expose them, as we are seeing in some places in real time, God. Help us, we pray, to identify and to mark out and to ignore and to flee from said wicked influence and teachings. And to that end, God, we pray also for those who have erred or are erring right now in the history of our church, Lord, or perhaps in our own experience, God. Our hearts go out to them. They've been taught the truth and they were disciplined by the church or they fled the church, God, not just our own, but other churches that we know of around here and elsewhere in our own experience, God people that we are concerned about. Our hearts go out to them, Lord. We don't know everything about them anymore. We don't know what has happened or where they're going, God. But we do know at one time they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ, at least outwardly. And whether, they're, Lord, that they are submitted to you in their hearts, that we're members of the invisible church, we do not know. And so, God, we still pray for them while they're yet alive, while we still know something about them, perhaps. Second hand or third hand, we ask, God, that you would bring them back from their erring ways that you would humble them, that you would strengthen them, God, and help us to continue to have hearts willing and able to receive people back into your fold. We, God, above, we who are your people, we pray, Lord, to you, our Savior, for our children. Lord, the young among us and the young adults as well, God, that you would be with them, that you would strengthen them. We pray, God, for uh, the babies to come, uh, the Rock's baby, which will be coming soon, Lord, and their children that you would be with them and be with any children, Lord, that we know of in our families and other churches, God. Protect them from this wicked age and the wicked influences upon them, God, that's everywhere. Uh, Lord, billboards, going to the mall, it's seen and heard, God, uh, profanities and the like, and uh, cursing your name, 
caring nothing of the Word of God and laughing at Christianity or whatever the case may be, God. We ask that you protect children of the covenant, that you'd watch over them and strengthen their parents and those around us, God, that we're all involved to the extent that we are able to influence to good the children and the families of the Church of Jesus Christ. And so we lift them up before you, God Almighty. Protect them and protect their souls especially. We pray, God, for the families here, Lord, uh, for those whose children have grown up and left the house and they're on their own now as an older couple, for those, Lord, who are not married, and for everything in between, God, that you would be with them and help them to do their responsibilities to continue to love you, to love one another, our Lord and Savior. We pray for your blessings upon them, God, to help them, we pray, to accept where they are, but also to strive to do what they can, as you called them, Lord, and their desires to do the right thing. So, Lord God above, we pray for all of us as individuals, as couples, as families, as families with children, and that we would draw nigh unto you through the blood of Christ Jesus, and we would draw nigh unto one another through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the union that we have in doctrine and practice here at Providence, God above. And may this sermon help to that end, we pray. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. thankful, God, for the many blessings you've given us in this nation, even in a weak and strange economy we find ourselves in, God. We thank you for the many material blessings and the financial ability to give these tithes and offerings. We pray for your blessing upon them, God, and for the wisdom of our church in dealing with the matter this afternoon, God, uh, that we would deal thus according to your will, Lord, and certainly in clear conscience before you, Lord, and accepting one another as brothers and sisters. In your name alone we pray. Amen. While we are standing, let us sing hymn 525-525.
You may be seated. We have the reading of the Ten Commandments inside the Trinity Hymnal. It's a green sheet. Inside, if you don't have one, we can get you one. Sometimes they're falling out or people take them home, I guess. I don't know. Take them home, read them. Let us read the Ten Commandments together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Acts 2, 41 and following. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let us pray. With these words, God, we read the brief form of part of the Reformation revival of the early church in the New Testament era. We read, God, how you were with your people, both as an organization and as an organism, and how they acted accordingly, God. They joined the church through baptism, that is, organizationally, and they continued love and care for one another, God, not with through the diaconship, Lord, but directly towards each other as an organism. And so, Lord, may we learn from this and continue to grow thereby in the importance, Lord, that we learn of your church and how we have sanctification to become more holy through the church that you've given us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. The church has fallen on hard times these days, and I don't mean that many the way many of us think of it, but the fact that many people are not interested in the church. They're not interested in what God has given us in the body of Christ. Many people are satisfied with floating around and reading their Bible up in the mountains or something like that. And it's too bad. God has given us the church. As you know, the church is twofold, both the invisible and the uh, uh, visible, or the external church. And people tend to focus in the American scene, at least in my experience, the polls I've seen and the like, upon the invisible. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all I need. And yet we read here, of course, in the very beginning, that they were baptized. That's an external rite. That's something done externally. It's visible. It's public. And it's tied clearly to the visible church. Peter's there as a pastor, although an apostle, but certainly a pastor as well, speaking for the church. That is, speaking for Christ, who is the head of the church and through the church. There's the slogan, no creed but Christ, and it's often accompanied by all I need is the Bible and Christ. Some Christians take these mini-creeds so seriously they find any organized church repulsive and interact with it very rarely if possible, and they're quick to denigrate the church. I've run across this personally and on the Internet. Of course, on the Internet you can find all kinds of crazy things in one way or the other. What's interesting is that many of these same Christians want to follow the supposed simple times of Acts. Let's go back to the book of Acts you've heard. I mentioned that a couple of times. I, I preached through the book of Acts verse by verse and section by section, and reminded you that this is what happens in Acts. You have an organized institution. You have officers and non-officers, members of the church. You have baptism. You have preaching. These are outward external activities that God uses for the inward man, right? By the power of the Spirit, preaching changes hearts. Not just sitting there and meditating upon God, although God can use that, but I'm talking about, again, those Christians who want nothing to do with God's church, nothing to do with his pastor uh, and his leadership that he has uh, gifted the church, as we read in Ephesians. Clearly, Acts was an institutional or organized church, a visible organization of people of God in noticeable ways by others. There's even ordination, as you recall, of not just anybody, but of the apostles, Paul himself had a laying on of hands because he took the church organized that seriously. And I know we do, and I want to remind you how much of a blessing that is that you've been taught that, that you've acted accordingly, and God has continued to bless you therein. And of course, there's more to the church than just the organization part, and that's true. People can overemphasize the organized part to the extent that they feel like I'm a member of the church, that's all I need to do. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to have a personal relationship with Jesus in the sense of believing and trusting him and seeking to follow him. That's true. 
That also happens. But I'll, I, I dare say I don't think it happens as much in America since most of us don't even go to church. <laughs> it's not as big a problem as it was in the past. That reminds us, though, this struggle we have in the American churches, that there is an organized church, but there's also a church described as an organic entity, a series of relationships that are not confined exclusively by the boundaries of the organization. We have fellowship with other Christians and other organized churches. And it's not even official. It's not like we're in the same denomination or a pastor sat down and, and said, okay, we're going to vote to have a friendship. No, you have a spontaneous relationship and friendship with them because you're brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what I mean by the organic relationship. Even within our church, we have meetings and, and do things together in small groups that aren't instituted and not directed by the church as such, as an organization. But you do it on your own. That's what I mean by the church as an organism. And so I'm going to talk about both those as what God uses for your spiritual growth, that you may be stronger in the Lord, you may resist the wiles of the devil and the temptation of the world. God has given you the church both as an organization and as an organism. And the Spirit works through it. So the first point is your spiritual growth in the church organized. The church organized, that is the outward form of the body of Christ, where you have leaders, you have followers, you have worship, you have laws that must be followed that distinguish you from others in this world. Just like any other organization, like a business, like a club, like society, a nation, they have laws, they have things that you do external that separate you from other nations. And so it is with the church of Jesus Christ. We have a confession. Yes, we have the Bible as the foundation of our confession, but uh, try to give this to somebody say, here, read it, this is what we believe. They'd be like, what? So we summarize it and distill it into what we call a confession. Easy to read, put all the relevant verses together. Here you go. This is what we believe. This is what we tell the whole world. As a summary of our belief, in fact. And we wish them to come here, we can teach them, and they can read the whole Bible themselves. <clears throat> Bible study, Sunday school, those are organized by the church. Church officers are involved. It's sanctioned by the session. That's the church organized. That's what I'm referring to. There are those in the church who follow the rules and worship and follow the leaders to be sure. And there are those outside of it who are not part of the church, who are not members therein, don't follow the rules, don't care about the Constitution. That's it. You're either in the church, you're not. Visibly, externally, it's obvious. That's it. Nothing more complicated than that. There are local, of course, and regional and national expressions of the visible church. So we are organized as a presbytery or regional expression of the church in the Dakotas, in <clears throat> Utah, and Colorado. Various and sundry churches where the leadership gets together twice a year. We can meet more. And we have a special meetings to deal with things common with all of us. That's an organization. We have a national organization, the General Assembly, that meets once a year to deal with matters common to all of the churches across the entirety of the nation. That's an organization. So the organization is complicated that way, or complex, layered, but very simple. You're either part of the OPC or you're not. You're either part of a church or you're not. That's all I'm talking about. Church discipline, of course, is part of that. Because church discipline says, we're here to help you, brother or sister. You're doing some serious sins here, and we're going to encourage you. And if it gets bad enough, we'll have to eventually discipline you. If it gets really bad, we kick you out of what? The visible church, the organization. You're no longer a member of the church. 
We live this way. We understand what that is. It's nothing more complicated than that. No one says that, hey, being a member of the organized church means you therefore you are saved, any more than it means uh, that you are truly an American, a patriot, just because you're an American. We know plenty of, what are they called, traitors in American history that were pretend members of America. And the same is true with the church. Now, we read here, that they were added daily, verses 41. Then those who, uh, who gladly received his word were baptized. Those who gladly received, it's interesting. <laughs> Read that sermon if you forgot it, right? Verse 14 and following of chapter 2 in the Pentecost sermon. And he concludes, right? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. Repent, he tells them. Let all the house of Israel know, surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Repent, for you have murdered the Lord. You are wicked sinners. You claim to be the followers of the Most High as the Jewish people, but you're not. And they gladly received it. They gladly received the bad news, but especially the good news, because the bad news was there to wake them up that they need a Savior. And they accepted and they received gladly, would be the immediate uh, reference to the promises to you and to your children, to those who are far off, that there is deliverance. Yes, you see your sins, but the good news is, this is why they gladly received it, that you can be saved in spite of your sins. And of course, they were baptized. Obviously, it was a physical baptism. It was an external rite because there's a number attached to it. And last I checked, unless you're some crazy charismatic, and I used to be one of those, you don't know who's saved. You can't count noses and say, that guy's really saved. You count baptisms. You count public professions of faith. That's all you count. That's an external activity, isn't it? That itself tells you this text is talking about the external church, joining the church. In verse 47, the Lord added to the church... Daily, those who were being saved. Added to the church visible. Ordinarily, Christians, unless hindered by providence, I don't know, war, <laughs> sickness, sometimes you know, flagrant ignorance, you're just ignorant, and once you learn the truth, you, you want to change, should be members of a church. Again, if possible, obviously not any church, but a faithful church. To the church, obviously, to the visible church. We don't believe baptism brings regeneration. That's not what this text is telling us. And now I can count persons, count their noses, you're really saved, but that you're members of the church. It makes a difference, to be sure. It helps you grow. It's part of your sanctification to be sanctified. It's a means of grace therein. You cannot count invisible regeneration, but you can count visible Baptism. The visible church through bap- baptism of the New Testament pattern, Christ commanded it, as we know, to baptize the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The apostles practice it over and over again in the book of Acts. It's an outward act to represent union with the invisible Christ and the invisible church. And that's a good thing. That's the instrument that God has given us, and we should exercise it. Ordinarily, Christians get baptized. Again, you could be in the desert somewhere and have no access to water, I suppose. In America, some think that they're extraordinary, of course, and don't need baptism, don't need the church, and everything's extraordinary circumstance because they're extraordinary. 
They don't quite say it that way, but you've run across people like that. They, they sound perhaps really nice, but you have to remember that's a dangerous way of thinking. The Bible's very clear. Peter directed those who repented. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And his response was not the response you hear from great mega church preachers and evangelists, as you've heard the story before in my experience. Repent, repent, that's good, repent. But repent and be baptized. Both. For the remission of sins. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, there are churches... There are big names who will preach repentance, but will not preach baptism. I've heard it with my own ears. That's astounding. Absolutely astounding. Because part of repentance is what? Hating your sins, hating the old ways, and wanting to follow Jesus and going the right way. It's a change of direction. Well, if you want to follow Jesus, what does Jesus say? Be baptized. (laughs) There you go. Not very complicated. It's there in the Great Commission in Matthew. And I'm giving this to us so that you would be strong in the Lord and reject that kind of thinking, as I believe you have, and stand firm. You're not weird. They are. You're not dangerous. They are. That kind of preaching is dangerous. Because that, what, feeds into that me and Jesus and forget the church approach to life, doesn't it? It's an apostle's doctrine, that is the external church. It's assumed in their teaching, because teaching itself is done by someone, not you, the apostles and the pastors, as later on in the book of Acts. And we read in particular, uh, and they continue steadfastly in the apostle's doctrine. So there is something called an apostle's doctrine that's publicly identifiable and different, and other things that are not the apostle's doctrine or teaching that's publicly identified and different. That's something external. The teaching itself is evidence of an external church. The church has an apostolic doctrine. And teaching assumes legitimacy, that even Paul got ordained for a specific office, for missionary work in Acts, as you recall, before he went off on his first missionary journey. They laid hands on him. <clears throat> we're going to let just anybody do it. Well, we're all members of Jesus Christ, and we don't care about the external church. We can all just go out. No, God cares. He cares enough to say, even an apostle must have laying on of hands, must be set aside for a specific public act, his missionary duties. And not any Christian should just pull that off because there's external distinctions, period, in the body of Christ. In 1 Timothy 4.14, we read of the laying on of hands of the presbytery as an obvious organized act, isn't it? It's a visible thing. And it's public. Everyone knew about it. You know who the pastor is? And he was set aside. Public is not done in the secret. We're not a secret organization, but a public organization. Doctrine is important today as it was for the early church growth, and it's what set them aside publicly and visibly. The means of grace, in particular, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly, that is, the, those who were baptized, those who repented, and the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. So in teaching... Uh, perhaps in the Lord's Supper, breaking of bread is sometimes used as a shorthand for fellowship. 
not always for the Lord's Supper. Prayers, obviously. They prayed together. And so these, again, are external activities that are visible and seen and not invisible, but are structured. It's fellowship, not fellowship with anybody, but fellowship with Christians as opposed to fellowship with non-Christians. The breaking of bread, not just with random strangers down the street, but with Christians and one another. And in prayers, they didn't pray with just any religious person on the street or on a boat. But prayed with believers. That's an external way of distinguishing yourself, isn't it? All this, just in the text itself, you see, oh, there's something external about Christianity. And it should be, because that's how God created reality for us. We're external creatures. We speak with the mouth. We hear. We touch. We see. That's how God designed it. The church is a natural institution, to be sure. That is a supernatural, but has a natural elements to it. The church is a supernatural institution in the sense of its origin. It is from above. It is by the power of the Spirit. It is directed by supernatural revelation of the Word of God that tells us to have a church, that tells us to have baptism, tells us to have pastors and set them aside. It's created by Him. That's what it is as a supernatural entity. And it's united together by the Spirit of Christ, knitted together as we read in Ephesians. Even if we are structurally different at times in different denominations, we have a kinship, spiritually speaking, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means as the church is a supernatural organization, different from this world. But there's also a natural element to it. It still needs a building, or at least some place to worship. Caves, they used to worship in caves. Uh, A sacred place in the sense of, this is where we're going to meet, in the woods, like our forefathers did in Scotland and elsewhere. And this is the place of worship, period. Or a house sometimes. You have house worship in Acts because they hadn't established separate buildings yet. You still have organization and coordination. You have to get together at the same time so that you're together as Christians. Pick a time of day in the Lord's Day, a beginning time, and an end time. You don't just let it go on forever and ever and ever. It has to be structured and organized. It still needs money. This is all there is to it. You you need money as a church to some extent to help the poor, to help the pastor who will become poor if we don't have enough money in in the poor churches. Things like that. This is how God has designed it. So there's a natural element to the supernatural thing called the church. And so we have, as we know uh, today, so I'm tying my sermon right into it, the congregational meeting to deal with the natural element uh, that is a common element that we have with the rest of the world, even a fellowship meal. That's, that's food. There's nothing special about that food. It's not the Lord's Supper food out there. It is common or natural. I keep using the word natural or common things that we have with other institutions in the world. What it means to be human. That's all there is to it. So being supernatural as an institution doesn't mean everything we do has to have a jot and tittle text of the Bible. Our confession says that very clearly. Don't forget that. We have common elements as other organizations. You've got to meet. You've got to have a place to meet. You meet at a certain time, then you're done, and you have to deal with money matters. And so uh, we deal with these things and submit to one another in love as God has so designed it. <clears throat> so that's the church organized that has a supernatural or, 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 uh, origin, also has an organization aspect that is supernatural in the sense that we have pastors that God tells us to have, but also has a natural element of organizing the food, organizing um, monies and the like of how to deal with these things. But there's also the church as an organism, the second point. Your spiritual growth as a Christian 
to become more holy, to fight sin, the flesh and the devil, uh, more successfully, we need the church of God as an organism as well. Uh, of course, by organism, I don't mean something that crawls around on the ground. <clears throat> it's just a nice alliteration to some extent, uh, the O's, the organization, the organism. But rather, an organization of believers that is less formal and rigid in form. Like a neighborhood or a large group of friends, where you don't necessarily have a hierarchy per se, although you recognize some things. You know, this, you know my neighbor's more gifted than I am in taking care of things and, and the car and whatnot. Uh, but we're not organized in the sense of being like an HOA, perhaps. Some uh, communities have HOAs, others don't have that organization at all. It's a lot more informal, is the word we would use. It's a twofold organism, the church is. Uh, invisible, of course, that, that is, we're all members of the body of Christ. And in that sense, what is Paul saying in Galatians? A misquoted verse, so misquoted in the last 20, 30 years, 50 years even, in America. Galatians 4. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. I mean, if that's taken the way the progressives take that verse, you can see why they have female pastors. Because they confuse the organized church, the external church, with the invisible church. The invisible church before God with respect to redemption. A Jew does not have a greater redemption uh, prospects than a Gentile. A woman does not have better prospects than a man when it comes to redemption, to being united with the body of Christ, the invisible body. But externally, we still have our order and the way things are supposed to be done, right? That's important. We need to realize that. So... Invisible, we're all members of the body of Christ, the church, including uh, Christians who, who couldn't get baptized like the thief on the cross. Right? Oh, couldn't get baptized. But he believed, repented of his sin, he died, went to heaven. He's part of the body of Christ, that organism that's not organized that way. Being a pastor makes no difference in that organization. The organization of the organism in that sense of the invisible body of Christ is Christ is the head of it. He's the head of uh, the external as well as well as the invisible. He's the head of both. It is the act of the Holy Spirit that unites us with Christ. In uniting us with Christ, we are united together, as we read in Ephesians. We are one body, one baptism, one Lord. The visible church is that those who name the name of Christ and have been baptized are, and their children are members of, of course, the organized church, but also the Organized uh, the church as an organism. Friends across town or across the nation can get together, read the Bible, and pray. Uh, uh, we've done that. You might do it on Zoom. I did that on a Thursday on Zoom. I have uh, other Christians across this nation, and we go over the confession. And uh, I'm not part of their organization of their church, but I am part of the organism of the church, visibly, and we've been separated, and we have things in common. We pray for one another, we talk, and we are friends with one another. <clears throat> We have events and activities like fellowship meals or friendship. Uh, we meet with one another throughout the week, perhaps, in small little groups. The pastor isn't there. The session didn't organize it. Do it on your own. That's the church organism. That's a real thing. Although, you're, obviously, you're all members of the church. The church isn't directing you to do it. It isn't something that we're required by the session or the Bible. It's done spontaneously. It is the breaking of bread, as we read here uh, in Acts 2.42 uh, and elsewhere. So continuing daily, verse 46, with one accord in the temple, and they gathered together spontaneously and breaking bread from house to house. Uh, they went together and they would have fellowship in their houses. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 
It's not a Bible study. It's fellowship. Spontaneous fellowship. That's the church as an organism. Prayer time you can organize with one another, small groups at home. This is obviously not the same as the sacraments in public worship, preaching in public worship. And so the most noticeable mark of a church as an organism is not the same as the church as an organization, the preaching of the word, discipline, sacraments, but fellowship. That's, the, I think, the biggest thing it would seem to me, that the church as an organism shows its health in general, how do you make friends? You have something in common with them. It's hard to be to make friends, lifelong friends, with somebody you're always at odds with. It's just how God designed it. Birds of a feather flock together. And so, with respect to the Church of God, we have a lot in common already. We have a common confession, common practice. And to dig deeper into that, you may have more common interests, and you do that with one another. You get to know one another and spend time with one another more than other people, and that's okay. You can't be best friends with every Christian in the same church. That's how God designed it. We're very limited that way. We're finite. We only have so much time. And so we stick with people we have a lot more in common. And that's, that's fine. But as long as we still have love and consideration for one another, that's part of what it means to be the church as an organism. And so Christian fellowship we have with one another is fellowship based upon common interest, to be sure, but also a common spirit, a common baptism, the church as an organism. And so fellowship assumes, in that context, union of doctrine and practice and union of things that we have in common, um, history, education, hobbies, whatever the case may be. So continuing daily, as we read there, with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They spent time with one another. They had fellowship in their homes with one another. It doesn't specify if they had a Bible study or not. I don't think they did. They would have perhaps mentioned that, as they said, the doctrines of the apostles were maintained. But they could have. Either way, uh, they were there together, and they had fruit from this activity of the fellowship of the church as an organism, where you, on your own, without the, the session as part of the hierarchy, the organized church, tells you, you got, why aren't you guys meeting? You should be meeting on Thursdays and Wednesdays and breaking bread with one another. No, you do that when you can, as you are able. And there are fruits therein. Verse 44, Now all who believe were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They took their resources and helped those in need. Where? In the church of Jesus Christ. The church as an organism must take care of her own members, first and foremost. And one of the fruits of a church that's organized, as well as a church that takes its organism seriously, the fellowship of the saints, we take care of one another as we are able. Often, of course, this is done behind closed doors. We don't tout it before the rooftops. Hey, look at me, I'm taking care of poor people in the church. Ain't it great and wonderful? No. But we do. And I know our church has done that, and we've been blessed that way. We are committed to one another. That's part of what it means to be a church. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. He added to the church in the context of both the organized church. They were baptized. We read at verse 41. And at the end of this section, in verse 47, they added to the church in the context of the church as an organism in which they had love and fellowship and taking care of one another. 
We want to grow in sanctification and holiness. We want to follow the book of Acts, the church of Acts. This is it in a nutshell, verses 41 to 47. A lot there. It's an overview. A lot of different ways to express, of course, in details of loving one another. We should continue, and we have continued, and I believe God has blessed us, especially spiritually to that end, that we are strong in the Lord and love for one another, that we want to take the church as an organism and as an organization seriously, and God will continue to bless us. Let us pray. We thank you, God Almighty. And although we fall short, Lord, as we know at times in both these dimensions of the church, Help us, we pray, to carry on and not be discouraged. To continue, Lord, we pray that we would be blessed by you. In your name alone we pray, by your grace alone. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing 461-461. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.